We are alive. So let's start off with the dedications. Dedication for this week, uh, nightly sponsors, anonymous, in honor of Gedalia Fenster with Akkara Tato for his inspiration, for the Zivug of Rochel Esther Bat Leirezel and the Zivug Parnosa and Refua of Avram Shlomo Ben Leirezel, in memory of Dvorofege Bat Shmuel Zechronel Vercha and for the Refua Shlem of Menachem Mendelman Sarabatya. And uh, nightly co-sponsors, anonymous, in honor of the Zivug Hagun of Adam Ben Flora and Alina Batayana and for Rafuat Hanefesh Viguf of Avi Ben Tova and then my uh, own personal dedication to Razel Bas Miriam may she have a complete and uh, successful procedure for Shalema and only good stuff okay little heads up people we're going to be talking about one of the most fundamental issues in Hasidus about spiritual unifications and um, we're going to explain it and then God willing we'll make it through and uh, re-enter the uh, airspace of earth <laughs> and, uh, and land and, and be able to live better lives. So the, uh, the title of today's class is Where to Find God in Our Lives. So let's start with a modern day issue before we get into the mystical stuff, okay? Modern day issue is, the undeniable fact is that we are mortals. And in addition to being mortals, we are the only creature that is capable of contemplating, denying, fighting, negotiating, and ultimately accepting our morality. So you know there is the five levels of accepting something. Mortality. 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 What did I say? Morality. Oh, mor mortality. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we, we fight both of them. <laughs> okay, the outcome of this gift is that while for other creatures it is only their spiritual source, every single creature has a spiritual source. The Gemara says, There isn't even one blade of grass that doesn't have a mazal, a spiritual source, that goes ahead and directs its uh, growth and protection and everything. So every creature, only their spiritual source, their guardian angel, so to speak, is that can acknowledge having a creator who is their protector and provider. Right? However, we humans can acknowledge this within our physical being and conscious mind. Thus, the outcome of being able to contemplate and think about A, our mortality slash fragility, and then from there to understand that we have a God who uh, creates us and sustains us and protects us. So the outcome is that it's only among the human race that there exists the atheist, the agnostic, the believer, and I wrote decisively indifferent, which is an oxymoron right there. <laughs> but that's what humans are. We decisively, consciously come to the conclusion that we are indifferent, which means we're not indifferent. God plays a role regardless of how we do it. The mere fact that we know we're born and we die and how fragile the in-between the two is we all, you know. So therefore, I have found that most every human at one point or another, on one level or another, is looking to know where God is. Sometimes in order to be with God, holding God's hands and, uh, hand, and other times to temporarily run away from God. Thus, King David says in the book of Psalms, chapter 139, If I ascend to the heavens, there you are. And if I made my bed in the grave, behold, you are there. 
If I take up the wings of dawn, if I dwell at the end of the west, there too your hand will lead me and your right hand will grasp me. Some of us say this with gratitude. We're never alone. And some of us say it with a kvetch. Really, God? Can't you ever leave me alone? To quote Fiddler on the Roof, which is playing now. Right? God, can't you choose someone else every once in a while? <laughs> so we all have this relationship with God. At times it's gratitude. Thank God I'm not alone. And at times it's a frustration. You know, God, how come, you know, just give me some space, you know? You're in my kitchen, you're in my bedroom, you're in my office, you're in my closet, you're, you're everywhere. You're on my vacations, you're, you're just dominating every single aspect of my life. You know, can't you just give me a little space where it's just me? But either way, we're in this relationship. Where is God? Either to run to or try to run away. Well, where can we find God? The most common mistake is that believe that we can find God in spirituality. No, if you want to find God, you got to find God in spirituality, right? Abstinence, meditation, humming. That's where you're going to find God. Spirituality is but the vestibule through which we must travel in order to find God. However, God's choice of residence is within the physical and the mundane. What a surprise. You go to Far East, you ask them, how can I find spirituality in my life? What are they going to tell you? Go on a mountaintop, go on a treetop, don't talk for 40 years, or whatever it may be. You go to a rabbi, and you tell the rabbi, Rabbi, I'm just feeling a lack of spirituality in my life. And what's he going to answer to you? When's the last time you had someone over at your table to help feed them physically, spiritually, emotionally at your Shabbos table. So for us, God is found in the mundane acts and in the physical world. We're not needing to find God in spirituality. In this lecture, we will explore what purpose spirituality serves for humans and how to use it for living our physical and often mundane lives. And now this lecture is based on a Maimur Hasidic teaching the Rebbe delivered in 1965, exploring the relationship between Holy Shabbat and the six mundane working weekdays, the spiritual and the physical. That's what we're going to get into. But before we do that, because this uh, discourse that the Rebbe gave, the Maimur that the Rebbe Blessed Memory delivered, is quite spiritual and deals with some mystical concepts, so today's introduction is going to be a little longer, just to have a clarity. Okay. In way of introduction... In Kabbalah and Hasidis, there are two unification services. Just put on pause the question, what is a unification? We'll talk about that in a moment. Okay? Remember, today our job is to make practical all these spiritual stuff. So there's something called Yehuda Ila'a. The word Yehud is to bring together. Remember, by the wedding, what does the Chas and Kala do right after the Chopa? They go into the Yehud room to bring together just the just to uh, blow away the myth of the sheet and all the other stuff, nothing happens in the Yichud room. Just how luckily he has to take the woman from her father's home into his home. Thus, you actually pay separate just to rent the room, that the Yichud room should be yours. The two witnesses have to make sure there's only one way in and one way out. And then they go in and they close the door. They stay outside. If you want to know what really goes on in there, Generally speaking, the groom and the bride actually fast on the day of their wedding in prayer. So this is the first time they're going to be eating. That's about what happens there. However, halachically, it has to be enough time to believe that something could have happened. 
So the word yichud really means to bring together, alone to bring together, unify. Okay? Now, so in Kabbalah and Hasidish, you have one thing called yichudi ilah. Ilah means higher, supernal, higher unification, and yichudi tata, lower unification. These two things are very big in the teachings of Hasidis and Kabbalah. You've noticed that maybe, have I mentioned this before, that in different uh, Sephardic, specifically Sephardic prayer books, when it says God's name, you'll see funny. There's like big letters in the li- big letters, there's little letters, so you can have the big name of God, the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He, and then inside, next little Yud, is a little Aleph, a little Dalet, a little Nun, a little Yud, the reason why they do this is because the different names, as you're about to see, represent different emanations, and Yichud means to bring together two unifications, two, two uh, emanations or names. So let's just see what this is about. These two unifications are presented in the two opening verses of Shema. Simply speaking, there's an entire long series from the third Lubavitcher Rebbe in his famous book, Derech Mitzvah and it's all dedicated to what his grandfather, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, dedicated part three of his, part two of his famous book, Tanya, called Shar Yichud Ve'emunah, the gateway of Yichud, unification and faith. And he writes there clearly that this is all based upon the two first verses of the Shema. Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, God is our God, God is one. That is Yichudi Ilo, the higher unification. Then there's the second verse, Baruch Shem Kavod Machutolo Lamba Ed, right? And that is, blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. That's the lower unification. So you have the two unifications, higher and lower. Right now, I'm just giving you addresses. Right after that, we're going to explain it. So too, it is presented in the four letters of God's ineffable name. The four letters are the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. You know from the word Hallelujah, that what does that word really stand for? Hallelujah, K. The first two letters of God's name is a name of God in itself. So you have the two unifications. You have the unification of the first two letters, the Yud and the He, which is the higher intellect emanations. And then you have the unification of the last two letters, the Vav and the He, which is the six male um, emotions and the feminine mystique, the Vav and the He. So you have the higher unifications to bring together the Yud and the He, and the lower unification is to bring together the Vav and the He. Now let's put these two things together. Put the two things together. There is the higher unification in the Yud and the He of the verse Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. So it's the first two letters in the first verse. Now by the way, many people aren't familiar with this. But as you're going to later on read the Shema Yisrael in the Torah, you will find out that there is no verse Baruch Shem Kivod Machutol Olam Va'ed in the Torah. That was instituted later by the sages. Maimonides tells us where it came from, a story with Jacob and his kids. Another legacy is that it comes from Moses. He brought it back down from heaven. After the 40 days, he heard the angels responding to praise of God with Baruch Shem. So he brought it to us, which is why all year we say it quietly. Only on the day that we're angelic, which is on the day of Yom Kippur, we say loud, Baruch Shem Kavod. So, But the word Baruch Shem Kavod is not in the Torah. The second biblical verse of the Shema is what? Via hafta et Hashem elokecha. You shall love God your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
So over there you also have the word of God, the name, right? So the lower unification is the last two letters of the ineffable name in the second verse. So you have double higher, double lower. Higher is the higher two letters, the yud Hey in the first verse. Hero Israel, God is a God, God is one. And the lower one is the latter letters of, latter letters of God's ineffable name, tetragrammaton, four-letter name, the vav Hey in the second verse in the via hafta you shall love. Okay? And we need to explain what this is all about. So let's go ahead. Okay. What is a unification? What does that mean? I mean we make Yehudim, Yehudim, Yehudim. You hear it all over in Hasidus and Kabbalah, Yehudim, to make Yehud. What does it mean? Consummation is what brings forth offspring. So one of the simple ways to understand it and to visualize it is that every one of the emanations is one of these walls. When the two walls meet, it creates a corner. Corner is a non-existing thing. It's where two lines meet. Now in Kabbalah, the two lines, the two walls, is the emanation A and emanation B. When they join, they create a corner. That corner is the flow of life influence into the lower world. That's what Yichud means. Yichud means in order to have a life flow to be produced and sent to the lower world, channeled to the lower world, you have to have a unification. The male itself, wisdom, six male emotions, and then you have the female itself, understanding, or the feminine mystique. By themselves, you're not going to have a mishpucha. You bring the male and the female together, the two unifications together, and what do you now have? The offspring, which is the corner, the influence line. So that is what, mystically speaking, in the supernal things, that's what it's all about. That's why if you've ever seen, Chabad only says it once in the morning, other people say it, especially Hasidim say it before every mitzvah. You'll look in your siddur, you'll see before Baruch Sha'ama it says these words, L'shem Yichud Kutshu Berichu Shem I am doing this mitzvah for the sake of bringing a unification between the Holy One, blessed be He, and the Shechina. Holy One, blessed be He, represents the six male emotions, while Shechina, feminine, represents Malchut, kingship. And to bring together unification between the letters Yud Hey and the Vav Hey. Now you know why we're saying that. Because it's only by bringing these Yichudim together that we create a new sustenance flow, an influence, which becomes the life force of the world lower. Okay, that's the mystical stuff. But now we need to talk about the practical stuff. What does this mean practically? Okay. On the extraterrestrial level, this is what it means. But on a physical level, for you and I, yes, there are the great tzaddikim that they go into that. They become a transparent vessel for this specific emanation and through that they can bring about unifications. You and I have not passed that physics class. So what does it mean for us, practically speaking? To understand what unification means for us, we're going to look at the last two words of the first verse of Shema, which is what? Hashem Echad. God is one. Simply speaking, what is this teaching? God is one. What is the verse saying? We make a declaration. Every single, it's not a prayer, it's a declaration. Hear, O Israel, God is our God, God is one. 
What we're saying is that we are monotheistic. We believe in one God, not many gods, right? That's a simple meaning. In Hasidus and Kabbalah, that's not the definition of Jewish monotheism. Monotheism is not defined by how many gods there is. Rather, it's defined whether there's anything else but God. Hashem Echad really means that God is one, which means God is everything and everything is God. You've heard me say this before on this platform, that when God was going to create the world, God did not make a shopping list and then go to the nearest Home Depot to buy material which will become the mass from which he forms the universe. So where did the material, where did the mass come from? The mass of the universe is actually the utterances of God. And God said, let there be. Let there be light, let there be this. God's utterance is part of himself. Thus truly God is everything and everything is God. Because ultimately speaking, the mass, the material from which everything was created was from God itself. And thus you've heard me pontificate with you upon the question that people love asking me, Rabbi, we're going to stump the Rabbi. Can God create another God? Can God create a rock that he can't lift? These are the questions that, you know, oh, we're going to stump the rabbi, because no matter what you say, you just limited God. If God can't, he can't. And if he could, then he could create a rock that he can't lift. So how does that work? And the answer is that the question comes from not understanding how God creates. Because ultimately speaking, what is that rock if not a piece of God? So are you asking me if God can create a piece of himself which he can't lift? God is everything and everything is God. Can God create another God? And if God would create another God, what would that other God be if not for a piece of himself? And thus, is it at all another God? So the word Hashem Echad truly means God is everything and everything is God. There is only one. However, in order for God to create a finite, free-thinking, freedom-of-will universe, God had first to do the tzimtzum. The tzimtzum literally means contraction. What it means is to go ahead and reverse the flow of the infinite light so that it shines inwards instead of outwards. And then to go ahead and create like a, a curtain filter experience for the finite light. And then what you have is a void of infinitism. That's not a word, but we just made it up. Now, that infinitism void is a perfect spot to now introduce a finite light from which we're going to create a finite universe. Now, all Kabbalistic, but our job is to make it really simple 101. So I want you to view the Tzimtzum as nothing more than a one-way mirror. From God's perspective, it's a plain glass. Nothing changed. From our perspective, it's a mirror. Thus, we now have this paradigm and conscientiousness of separatism. We are separate. There is two, not one. The universe is a binary code, not a unary code, which is creator and creation. That is the outcome of a paradigm that can only happen through tzimtzum, the one-way mirror. Thus, the first letter of the Torah is a base, and the shape of a base is like this, meaning that you cannot penetrate beyond. This is a mirror. So ultimately speaking, even when we look up to God, all we see is my creator. 
That's what makes God God, because he's my creator. God is not a creator. It's one of the many things God did. But God, by definition, is not a creator. He chose to create. And before he chose to create, what was he? Unemployed? So there's God. But we don't see that because the contraction created this notion that there is I and there is God. And the only existence of God that I am sure of is the creator who created me. But from God's perspective, where everything is a glass window, before he spoke and said, let there be, and after he spoke and said, let there be, nothing changed. For God is one. Everything was, everything is, and everything will always be God, and God is everything. Okay? Now, the question over here is, the unification of Hashem Echad can be perceived on two levels which is how I started off sharing with you these two levels of unity. There's the supernal, higher one, Yehudi and the lower one, Yehudi Now, what does that mean? Again, we're here to make things practical, simple, digestible. So, there is a verse that we say, and you say it every Shabbat, we say it on Simcha Torah, Right? Right after that, we go on to sing, sing Hashem, Melech, Hashem, Melech, Hashem, right? That's where, before we take out the ark. So, what does that verse mean? The verse says as follows it's Deuteronomy, and it says, You, God, have made yourself known to us in order that we should. I'm sorry, the verse. You have been shown in order to know that God, He is God. There is none else besides Him. That's a simple verse. Again, let's read it again. So, you have been shown, Atta Horesa, in order to know, Ladas, Ki Hashem Hu HaElakim, that God, He is God, Ein Od Milvado, there is none else besides Him. Upon which the Baal Shem Tov teaches, the Baal Shem Tov has a twist to this, and he says, Atta Horesa, you God have made yourself known, Atta Horesa Ladas, in order that we should know you. In other words, if God would not have made himself known to us, we would never have known God. So why is Atta Horesa Ladas? In order we should get to know you. Comes along the Alter Rebbe, and he emphasizes the deeper meaning of what the Baal Shem Tov is saying, because the Baal Shem Tov just explained the first part of the verse. Atta Horesa Ladas. What's about the second part of the verse? Ki Hashem Hu so the Alter Rebbe explains that really what God made known of himself to us is that God, the ineffable tetragrammaton, the yud heh vav -Hey, the infinite light, is Elohim, Hashem Hu Elohim, in English is God is God, or God, Lord is God. But in Hebrew, there's two different names. The second name, Elohim, represents the finite light, the source of finite creation. And that, there is none else besides him. Let's just quickly explain to this. Why don't you come come to the table and enjoy? We're, we're, we're a good group of people here. <laughs> okay, but you're more than welcome if you want, okay? So, what does it mean Hashem Hu Elohim? Hashem is the infinite light, just making it simple for today. Hashem is the infinite light. Elohim is the screen that covers it for was the infinite light to shine into us, we would have short circuit. We're finite beings. 
So Elohim, the actual word, Aleph Lamed Hey Yud Mem equals 86. The word Hateva, the nature, equals 86. Because Elohim is the level of the infinite light, which is the finite light. And thus, when you see something, you're seeing the glove of Elohim on the hand of the ineffable tetragrammaton. So you shouldn't think there's two things. There's science, the study of Elohim. And then there's the Torah, the study of Hashem. No, you should know they're one and the same. Hashem, who? Ha Elohim. God is Elohim and Elohim is God. Don't separate the two. It's all one. Okay? The second half of the sentence then takes us to what the emphasis of that is. Ain od, movado. There's nothing but Him. There isn't God and science. God is science and science is God. Creator is creation, creation is creator. It's all one for God created everything of Himself. And everything remains within Himself. Okay? Oops, sorry about that. Thank you. Okay, so let's go further. Whoa. Now, what does it mean, Eidon Bovado? We're going to have to sit and understand this. Oh, my notes. Are oh, they still readable? <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Thank you, yes. So what, what does it mean? Ein od novado, there is nothing but him. Besides him. What does that mean? So here's where you're going to have the higher unity and the lower unity. The higher unity just stops after the words ein od. There is nothing. There is nothing. It's only God. Ein od novado. There is nothing. None else. Thank you. And then there's this lower unity which says, Ein od milvado. There is nothing besides him. What is the difference to us? The difference to us is that the process of the lower unity says that I'm going to concentrate on the fact that we're all lifeless, non-existing beings without God bringing us into existence and giving us life. Thus, this concept of the post-mirror says that yes, without God, I wouldn't exist. But God has created me to exist. And thus, there is a creation, there is a creator, but the creation is dependent upon the creator. And if not for the creator, the creation wouldn't exist. But the Creator did create, and thus there is God and there is I. There is a binary code, but I always need to remember that without God, I wouldn't exist. That's the lower unification. The higher unification is to bypass, transcend beyond its symptom, and see there is no creation, there is no Creator, for God is everything, and everything is God. So don't create two binary. There is a creator. There is a creation that doesn't exist in truth. God is everything and everything is God. Hashem Echod. Now, those two different concentrations are total different processes in my relationship with God. Let's talk about love. The process of the lower love is in the way that the love is the offspring, the emotions are the offspring of the intellect. There is the intellect and there is the emotion. The more I study, 
the more I contemplate, the more through prayer meditation, I understand and focus and unite my consciousness with God and God's relationship to the universe. Thus, one or two things are going to happen. Depending on the direction of the Torah study, concentration, contemplation, and meditation. Either it will bring to, I love you God, for you are my life. Or it will bring to a total awe. The awe is, how great is God, which really makes me understand how insignificant we are. In the sense of size or whatever. I'm not beating ourselves up. So, but that is an outcome, an emotional outcome to the concentration. Thus, the verse tells us, You shall love God your God. And our sages connect the second half of the verse to it. For he is your life. And a person in a sane state of mind loves being alive. And thus, if I realize that what makes me and brings me and allows me to be alive is God, thus I love God, for He is my life. Literally, He is my life. He is my life force. Okay? That concentration will bring to love. Now, the problem with that is that that concentration is the product of human study, concentration, contemplation, prayer, meditation. And it is based upon the finite light of God, Elohim, which is my life force. Thus, by definition, this love is going to be a finite love. A, it's produced by the finite human mind. B, it's produced by the meditation upon the finite light of God. On the other hand, the higher unification brings forth a different love. That love is called the great love. We'll soon talk about that. That process isn't a love that is born out of intellectual pursuit, understanding. Rather, it is born from, from an outburst of the essence of my soul. Thus, the essence of my soul is, quote-unquote, truly a piece of God. Thus, that love is infinite. It isn't born and dependent upon any finite human intellectual capacity, nor is it dependent upon my understanding of a finite light. It is the outburst of the infinite spark, essence of my soul within me. Higher unification, lower unification. Now I want to just bring this out one more concept. Higher unification in practical work is Torah study and mitzvah observance. It isn't about me doing my stuff. It isn't about me earning a living. It isn't about me trying to study and understand the world around me. It's about Torah study and mitzvah observance. The lower unification is the fulfillment of a Mishnah in ethics of our father and a verse in Proverbs. The Mishnah says, May all your actions be for the sake of heaven 
And Echecha, Proverbs says, Echecha da'ehu, in all your ways you shall know him. Now, when you say your actions, Masecha, suffix cha, your, or Derechecha, suffix cha, your ways, we're not talking about Torah study or mitzvah observance, because that's not my ways, that's God's ways. So we're talking about my secular mundane pursuits, earning a living, study of science, study of world history, study of anything. The Torah is telling you, all this must be for the Jew with some goal of how will I better know God through knowing God's handicraft? How will I better serve God by earning a greater living or going on a vacation or, or whatever it may be. So here it's about me, my physical, my mundane, my secular side. And yet here it has to be for the sake of God. So the higher unification is, it's nothing about me at all. And I don't shake a little of an asterisk for my benefit. I do it because God said to do it. That's just plain and simple. I don't even know exactly what's going on when I do that. Right? But nevertheless, on Sukkot we do it. You can't call that my action. It's God telling me you shall take these four kinds and do it on Sukkot. So that's the higher. It's about God. I'm studying Torah. It's about God's word. And then there is the secular, mundane side of me. I'm learning a profession. I'm learning a trade. I'm going to do a visit to this country. I want to see things. I heard about the Himalaya mountain. Whatever it is, you want to... But all that brings to a greater appreciation and knowledge of God. But that's the lower. You're not doing a holy thing. You're doing something mundane. But you're going to utilize it as well to build your relationship with God. Lower. Mitzvah, higher. Now, from everything that we've just said, we can understand that Shabbat is the higher unification and the six working days is the lower. After this introduction, we can now come to the great question, who's on first? What is it all about? Okay? So, with that introduction all done, now we can go through the mystical concepts and let the amazing of Hasidus begin. Number one is the opening verse of this Victoria portion. Numbers of the Mishkan, Pekudia Mishkan, Mishkan Eidos, the Mishkan of testimony, Avoides Halavim, the work of the Levites, in the hands of Itamar, the son of Aaron Akoin. Five different things are mentioned here. What are these five things? Number two, what's the difference between eternal love and great love? Avat Olam, Avaraba. Number three, what are the 39 categories of work? No, I'm not asking, I'm not going to list the 39. I'm saying, what is the mystical, deeper dimension of that? Number four, there's a verse in Exodus. See that God has given you the Shabbat. What is that all about? Last but not least is a prayer. And Svartim sing it. And God said to Jacob, do not fear my servant Jacob. That's the way we start Matzah Shabbat after Abdullah. So what is that all about? Okay, so let's jump right into it. 
Our Torah portion this week begins with the verse. I'm going to read to you the first verse of the parasha. These are the numbers of the Mishkan, the Mishkan of the testimony which were counted at Moses' command. This was the work of the Levites under the direction of Itamar, the son of Aaron the Kohen. So the Torah portion starts with an accounting. How much gold? How much silver? What was going on? What was the stuff? You know, we just read that they brought everything. Okay? So now, according to Kabbalah and the teachings of Hasidus, this verse describes a journey of prayer into Torah study and its gift of higher unity and lower unity. If you look, I'm going to break the verse into little phrases and explain each one. Numbers of the Mishkan. Numbers. This is the lower unity of the letters Vav and He in the verse, and you shall love God your God. That is the numbers of the Mishkan. Countable. Okay? Mishkan of the testimony. What is the testimony? The two tablets by God. This is what? The higher unity of the letters Yud and He in the first verse of Shema. Now let's go to the work of the Levites. What is the work of the Levites? The work of the Levites is the preparation of self. It is needless to say that if you wake up, take yourself a nice quick shower, make yourself a coffee, catch up either via newspaper or iPad of how your profile, how your portfolio is doing, and then you decide, okay, now let's talk to God. Shema Yisrael. What you're not going to find is that all of a sudden you're in the dimension of total unity. God is one. The coffee's not a coffee. The shower wasn't a shower. The newspaper wasn't a newspaper. My portfolio wasn't a portfolio. It's all God. You don't work that way. You don't go from the I mindset to the God mindset just with a snap of a finger. Our sages knew that. And that's why before you say the Shema, they instituted this whole thing called Psuka de Zimra, verses of praise. And what those verses of praise does from the Baruch Sha'amah until the Yishtabach, Shimcha, that whole portion is the verses of praise. And what that does is it's the ebb and flow of creator's, creation's relationship to creator. And we talk about how the birds sing, and we talk about how this, and then the snow, and the, right? We talk about all the different things. And then we go ahead and we start talking about how God chose Abraham. And then we go ahead and we talk about the Exodus. This whole ebb and flow relationship prepares me and prepares my mindset that when I say Shema, I shouldn't be thinking about my next appointment in my office. I should really be focusing and seeing the hand of God within the glove of God. Now, all of this, the preparation of the ebb and flow, the work of the Levites, and the higher unification and the lower unification, the Shema and the Viahafta, the counting of the Mishkan and the Mishkan of the testimony, the main goal is to bring it down in vessels. Fragrance is beautiful, but it's a fleeting moment unless you can bottle it. So yes, when I'm in shul, I'm there, oh, I am God, God is everything and everything is God. And then I go out to my office and I have to start making money. And all of a sudden, God is not everything and everything is not God. We got to roll up our sleeves and we got to go ahead and use the tactics of white lies, gray lies, and black lies just to go ahead and make an extra dollar. How do I remember that moment that I wasn't sure? You know, they tell the story about the person that was in shul and he davened and he davened and the angels told Hashem, Hashem, he's davening like such a good boy or girl. Come on, send him a couple of bucks. God says, okay, put it down that we should send him a couple of bucks. 
No, finishes davening, and God then he goes to work. God tells the angel, no, we have to deliver on our promise. The angel runs around, runs around, runs around, comes back and says, God, I, I can't find him. So what do you mean you can't find him? He didn't die. I'm telling you, I can't find him down there. And God says, come with me. You see that lying, cheating person? That was the holy person in Shul who was saying, Shema Yisrael. Because they're two different words, worlds for us. So the main point of prayer is not that while we're praying, we should sense that God is everything and everything is God. But that we should find a way how to take that with us into the office. My grandfather used to say upon the verse, What that means is forever, always, a person should be a God-fearing person in hiddenness. Definition of a mensch is someone that, that behaves when no one's looking. So my grandfather used to say, To the world, be a mensch. Your Yiddish stuff, keep it to yourself. <laughs> be a mensch. How do you do that? How do you have your God-fearingness embody itself within you being a mensch out there? So the answer is by creating vessels. What are the vessels that can hold this great feeling of oneness with God? Words of Torah, studied with humility. And thus the next thing in the verse it says is Itmar. Itamar in the Talmud, the word itma means, and it was said. We're talking about words of Torah. So the deeper meaning of the name of his son is not itamar, it's itmar. Words of Torah. When you finish praying and you're feeling that, that oneness, that spiritual oneness of yearning, study Torah like a mensch. See what God wants you to do out there in the world. It doesn't say, and Rabbi so-and-so said. It said, it was said. That's a humility. It's God's word floating through me. It's not like, oh, did you hear what I just came up with? And then lastly, Aaron. What does it mean, Aaron? Aaron means, in Kabbalah and Hasidus, great love. If you remember ethics of our fathers, what does it say? Be of the students of Aaron. Love all God's creations, right? He used to pursue peace. He used to love all God's creations. And he would bring them close to Torah. Aaron, according to Kabbalah, there are different tzaddikim, different leaders that were shepherds for different concepts. Moses was a shepherd for faith. Aaron was a shepherd for love. And not just love, Kohen Godol. Godol, Ava Rabba, great love. And why so? The Hasidic teaching on this verse finishes that the whole reason why we need to have great love is in order that we should be able to go out there in the world in the lower unity and be a mention. The ultimate purpose of the great love is not that I should chuckle and shul. The ultimate purpose of the great love is I should be a mensch on the street. In all your ways, know him, and may all your actions be for the sake of heaven. On that last words of this teaching is what the Rebbe primarily focuses this mimer on. That means the higher and the greater is all for the purpose of the lower and the mundane. And to understand this, we're now going to go to the next concept, which is eternal love and great love. 
you have what we call Ahavat Olam, Ahavtanu, Ahavat Olam, Olam, what does the word Olam mean? When we say Le Olam Va'ed, what do we mean? Forever and ever, eternal. Thus I translated Ahavat Olam as eternal love. However, the word Olam really means Adon Olam, or when we make a blessing, Melech Olam, King of the world, of the universe. Thus Olam means world. So in Hasidus and Kabbalah we're taught, Avat Olam is what I mentioned to you previously. It's the love that comes about through the study, concentration, contemplation, and prayer meditation upon God's relationship with the world. The love of love God your God, for He is your life. So on one hand we're saying eternal love, but what we are saying is, it's the finite love, the love that is the offspring of concentration. That's Avat Olam. Then there's Avat Rabba, Avat Rabba. Avat Rabba is great love. Now just that you know, in the definition, in the mystical definition of great, if it's countable, doesn't make a difference whether it's a billion, a trillion, or a gazillion. If it's countable, it's not ultimately great. Because countable is made up of ones. Just a pile up of ones. So the difference between one and a billion is just the amount of ones. It's all truly finite. Thus, when you say Ava Rabbah, Rabbah means the quantum infinite greatness. Thus, when we say Ava Rabbah, we're not talking about a love that is bigger than the love of Avat Olam. We're talking about a quantum leap. We're talking about a total different concept. This is not the product of the human through the concentration, contemplation, and meditation. It's a gift from God. Thus, we now understand that Avarabba is the gift that God gives to us when we work our eternal love, Avatolam, to its fullest capacity. The next step is you receive a gift that all of a sudden the Shema just shines forth. The essence of the soul. Now you have a love of God that isn't dependent upon your creation of your mind and your understanding and your paradigms. Rather, it is dependent upon who you are. Who you are, the essence of your neshama. Your essence of neshama is a piece of God. And thus the love is infinite. Okay? So, now that we got all that straight, <laughs> now that we got all that straight, let's just, let's just line it up here. So we lined up a couple of things here. We lined up the higher unification. God is everything and everything is God. It's not a binary code, it's a unicode. For even what seems as creation is nothing more than the utterance of God. Thus God is everything and everything is God. We have on that side of the aisle, great love, infinite, shining forth from the peace of God within us. We have on that side mitzvot and Torah study. And we have Shabbat. And on the other side of the aisle we have lower unification. Yes, without God nothing exists. But God created us to exist. And thus there is a binary code. There is God and there is us who created to exist. There is the eternal love which can just come from a true concentration, contemplation, study, and, and prayer meditation of how ultimately 
the life of everything is God, and thus I love God. Then there is the, not the Shabbos, but the working weekdays. And the ultimate experience of the working weekdays, as we're soon going to see, is not doing mitzvot, but the all your mundane secular actions, and in all your mundane and secular ways, know God and serve God for the sake of God. So we have clear now the two sides of the aisle. Okay? One obviously spells out spirituality, and the other spells out physicality. Okay? Now with that understood, I want to get a little deeper into what it means the six working days. Right? You have Shabbat, and Shabbat it says that what? See what that God has given you the Shabbat, and then of the six working days, there's the commandment, and six days you shall work. Right? I'm laughing because I had a teacher who used to mumble like a horse. <laughs> six days you shall work, like a horse. Well, that doesn't say in the verse, but it's, it's somewhere there in the good book. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to seriousness. So, what is the lower unity? The lower unity is the six working days, the mundane, the secular, the earning a living, right? And everything that comes with it, including vacations and everything else. Okay? Now, what is the definition of work? So, the definition of work is defined where? It is defined in the laws of Shabbat. Because on Shabbat it says, thou shalt not work. What does that mean? What does it mean not to work? Explain to me why, if you carry a, uh, a, a paper, a book, from the inside of your house to the outside of the public domain, that's called carrying. But if you schlep a big heavy box inside your house from the bedroom to the living room, that's not called working. What's the definition of work? So the Talmud over there defines the work. And how does it define the word work? It says you make a gzera shava. It doesn't say work, it says craftsmanship work. We don't know what the word work means. So we look in the Torah, where else did you use that word work? Melacha, not avoda. It says lotase melacha. So what does it mean melacha? So we find that when it comes to building and working the services of the tabernacle, the mishkan, the sanctuary in the desert, it says malachas machsheves, craftsmanship work. So now we know that the definition of work is not just plain if you're sweating it or not, because your work is my pleasure, and my pleasure is your work. I mean, you know how that works. You know, my mother loves cleaning, and, and, and I love uh, reading, you know, <laughs> whatever it may be. It, it defines what it is. So therefore, the definition of work is defined by craftsmanship, which is defined by five different properties. It needs to have these properties in it. And later, because of that, we know that if you look at the work and you number them, the type of categories of work that there are in the Mishkan is 39. For Kabbalistic reasons, we say 40 minus 1. But it's 39. Right? Now, when you talk about these 39 works, because it's connected to the Holy Temple, building the Holy Temple and the service in the Holy Temple, thus, mystically speaking, we're being taught a very big secret. The only reason work exists is not for us to build a palace for ourselves. It's to build a home for God. The whole reason why God made work possible 
There's a Talmudic saying that says, God created gold for the holy temple. Once he did that, he gave leftovers for Trump. <laughs> but either way, that's just a political joke between me and my dear friend Phyllis here. <laughs> but the point here being is that really the existence of the physical, the existence of work, secular work, not Torah study, secular work, is for the sake of building of this world. A home, a sanctuary for God. Now that we don't have that, so this evolved into the Mishnah and the verse, the Mishnah and ethics and the verse from Proverbs. In all your actions, be it for the sake of heaven, in all your ways, know him. Thus today, the definition of work is not going to the mikveh and starting to work and building the holy temple. It's about what we do, our work. But it manifests itself in that even in our work has to be for the sake of God. And thus, how do I do that? Really, how do I do that? I've been planning this cruise forever, putting away money, making sure that they don't have airplane kosher food, but they actually have a kosher caterer. And I made sure that the shows are going to be great shows. And all of a sudden, yeah, all for the sake of heaven. Right. So how do we make sure that when we enjoy ourselves or we're working on our own selves, that's for the sake of heaven? One way. When you look at the world, you need to see that you're seeing a glove on a hand. Thus, if I know that all of existence is only because of God, for God is the life force of everything, including my three-week cruise to cross Atlantic, then I can easily focus. How am I connecting to God with this? And by the way, it doesn't have to be dumb. No, just be simple. When you go on your cruise, pack your tefillin, pack a Torah, a Chumash, bring some Jewish stuff, Make sure that Shabbos on the cruise is Shabbos. Make sure when you go off on the island, you ask about the Jewish community and learn some stuff. Make sure you find out the wonders in Costa Rica about the volcanoes and see how awesome is the work of God. That's what it means. It's not like something earth-shattering. It's very simple. But always asking myself, okay, how does my relationship with God become stronger through this experience? That's what the 39 works are. That is the definition of the six work days. It is lower unification for the sake of embedding my relationship with God through my secular, physical, mundane side. Now, what is Shabbat? Shabbat, you're not allowed to work. And if you look at the verse, what does it say in Pasha B'Shalach? See that God has given you the Shabbat. Now, if you look in your notes, you will see that I underlined three words. See, God given. Why? Because there's an emphasis to what Shabbat is. Why is Shabbat the higher union? Number one, if you look in Genesis, in the entire story of the creation, what does it say? Vayomer Hashem Yehi Or, Vayomer Elohim Yehi Or. It says Elohim. If you look through creation, the name of God used 32 times is Elohim. At the conclusion and the completion of creation, where it says these are the creations that Hashem Elohim created, the one time it says Hashem, it's associated with Elohim. Not just Hashem, Hashem Elohim. Because the six work days is like I mentioned, is all about Elohim. It's all about the lower, all about the finite 
light of God, which is the source of my life. When it comes to Shabbat, it says, Re'u ashenosan Hashem, the ineffable tetragrammaton. Hashem is not the product of, I'm sorry, Shabbat is not the product of Elohim, lower unity, finite light, but the gift of Hashem, higher unity, infinite light. Another note, it says C. So I was actually thinking about this while I was working on the class. Sometimes I say, I hear what you're saying, and I say, I see what you mean. Interesting, no? In Kabbalah, hearing is perceiving. I understand what you're saying. Seeing is deeper. I see what you mean. In other words, seeing is a far more deeper, crystal clear vision. It's not the work of the finite mind as much as it's the work of the revelation of the infinite soul. And then we have the final step here, given. So those who were here last week, remember I spoke about three levels of Shabbat, right? Friday night, Shabbat morning, Shabbat day. I'm going to connect this now for a moment. Concerning Shabbat, there's a Talmudic statement that says, Shabbat. He who worked, who painfully worked on Erev Shabbat, before Shabbat, has what to eat on Shabbat. And he who does not work on before Shabbat, doesn't have what to eat on Shabbat. On a spiritual level, what does this mean? There's a level of Shabbat that I have to earn, I have to make. And thus there is the verse that says, V'shamrut b'nei Yisrael es la'asois es To make the Shabbat. So there's a level of Shabbat which I have to make. That's Friday night. That is the making of Shabbat where I consciously let go of all the stress of the week and enter into Shabbat. There's another level of Shabbat, Shabbat morning, which says the following. The Gemara says, Does then Israel sanctify the Shabbat? The Shabbat has already been sanctified from the creation and so continues. Long before we came around with any mitzvot. In Genesis it says, and then what does it say? God created Shabbat. Not we have to create Shabbat. The holidays we have to create. We have to make Kiddush. And if we don't make Kiddush, we're not sanctifying the Shabbat. So even though you have to make Kiddush on Shabbat, it's not because we are sanctifying the Shabbat, but rather the Shabbat is and we're connecting to the Shabbat. Shabbat is made by God. That's Shabbat morning. We don't have to make Shabbat. God made Shabbat and we're just connecting to it. And then there is the Shabbat afternoon, which is Mincha. The Shabbat afternoon is a total different one. And I want to quote to you a piece of Talmud in Tractic Shabbat. This is what it says. The Holy Blessed be He said to Moses, I have a precious gift in my treasure house called the Shabbat and desire to give it to Israel. There's a level of Shabbat which is a gift. Not that you can make it. Not even that it exists in creation and you have to connect with it. It is a gift that God gives specifically to the Jewish person. That is the holiest state of Shabbat. So we're talking about Shabbat as the higher unification. Within Shabbat, within Shabbat itself, which verse do we quote? 
See that God has given, gifted you. So no one could say, well, I can't do that. You can't do it if you had to create it. But if God gave it to you, then God gave it to you. So all this great higher unification, all this greatness of the great love of Shabbat, what is it all for? This we get to the final point. It's not for us to bask in the bliss of spirituality. Rather, it's all about make Havdalah and go into the week. Don't stay in the Shabbat. All of the higher is given so that we can continuously live and survive the lower. Now let's go to the verse I told you that we sing. How many names do the Jewish people have? Two. Yisrael and Yaakov. Yisrael stands for what? Yisrael comes, if you remember what the angel told him and what God told him when he changed his name. You have managed with ministers. You're a minister. The word Yisrael, breaking into two words, you have Li Rosh, unto me a head. What does Yaakov come from? Because Jacob held on to what of Esav? The heel. Yaakov comes from the word Okev, heel. And thus, you have two dimensions of Israel. You have two dimensions of the Jew. When the Jew is in his holiness of Shabbat, he is Yisrael. When the Jew is going out of the holiness of Shabbat into the secular world, then he's in the state of Yaakov, heel. Thus the Jew is afraid. How will I manage outside of Shabbat? How will I manage outside of being in the spiritual bliss of God is everything and everything is God? The minute I step out of the Unicode into the binary code, I may fall. I may forget that the reason I'm doing all of this is in order to become close to God. I may think that becoming rich and being comfortable and becoming knowledgeable and becoming famous and becoming powerful is all about me. Not about to sanctify God's name and strengthen my relationship with God. And thus after Shabbat, we are frightened. We don't want to go. Says Hashem, in the verse in Isaiah and the verse in Jeremiah, Al-Tira Avdiyakov. Don't be afraid, my servant Jacob. Why don't be afraid? Because the gift of Shabbat is not an isolated island. The gift of Shabbat, the gift of all the higher spiritual experiences you have, I've given you only that you can then go on Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, into the lower unification and build for me a home. Build for me a home, not with my mitzvot. Allow me into your secular life. Show me that you love me entirely and that even in your own pursuits, you make room for me. Now, let's close it up. In closing, we spoke about where is God. We spoke about that all of the spiritual bliss is really only a drive and empowerment for the mundane working it. Thus, allow me to make this very clear by talking about romantic relationships. In a marriage, in a, a romantic relationship, it's beautiful when he comes home with 25 roses. It's beautiful when she has prepared a romantic dinner, five-course five meal, candlelight dinner for two. 
It's all beautiful. But that's not where love really is seen. Love is seen in the day in and day out mundane things we do for each other. Taking out the garbage, doing the dishes, helping. That's where love happens. Ultimately speaking, the only reason we go on a honeymoon is to bring back the spark into our relationship. Not while we're on the honeymoon, but when we come back from the honeymoon, when we come back from the romantic getaway, and the next time she asks you to take out the garbage, and you're still glowing from the honeymoon, you take out the garbage with a skip in your walk. The same it is with God. All of spirituality, all of the gifts of a higher conscious of oneness with Hashem, and the Shabbat day, and the great love, it's not about just an isolated honeymoon romantic getaway with God. It's about the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of working in the world of assimilation like a Yid. Thank you.